Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman with you. We have uh, Connor English and Sarah Sparks. And now Radio New Zealand has released a full transcript of this speech former Minister Kerry Allen made at her then-partner Marnie Dunlop's farewell event. The release comes after a recommendation from the Chief Ombudsman to do so. There'll be more on this. You can read uh, the story on rnz.co.nz and um, I'm sure Checkpoint will be um, carrying uh, the story. But to this also, big news today, Labour caucus met this afternoon uh, of surviving and newly elected Labour MPs at Parliament. Chris Hipkins is still the leader of the Labour Party following meeting with his new caucus, which ran for nearly two hours. He said the caucus needs to take time to reflect properly on the election results. Result. I still have a bit of fight left in me, Hipkins said. Grant Robertson said, I'm incredibly supportive of Chris. Meanwhile, Andrew Little himself, a former Labour leader, is retiring from politics and said this about in- incoming MPs. Stick with what you believe in. Stick with those principles. Being in government is a huge honour and a huge privilege and is the basis on which I leave. Well, Ian Lees Galloway represented Palmerston North as their MP for 12 years, I think, was a minister in Jacinda Ardern's cabinet. Ian, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Yeah, good to have you here. Uh, Ian, seeing loved ones go, or loved colleagues go, you know, especially the likes of, you know, Nanai Mahuta, Andrew Little, this must be quite a bittersweet moment for the Labour Party. Well, I, I don't know about the sweet, but actually, Wallace, I think it's probably quite a bitter moment, a very sad time for the party. Um, and as you say, 30-something MPs leaving. Uh, so before they got to the business of caucus that you were talking about, they would have gathered all the outgoing MPs. I know they all had an opportunity to say their farewells. The tradition is in the Labour Party that outgoing MPs are given a, a silver tray engraved with uh, the years that they um, they uh, were in Parliament. So quite a few silver trays to hand out, quite a few speeches to make, and I'm sure a few tears would have been shed, uh, lots of hugs, lots of support for each other, but a very difficult time. Yeah, and all this amidst a, um, an astonishing result, I guess, on Saturday night, and a hugely depleted caucus, Ian. Well, I don't, I don't know that it was that astonishing. I think once the special votes come in, the result is probably going to look pretty much what the polls were predicting. So people saw it coming. And I've spoken to a couple of my friends over the last day or two, and a few people had processed this already. They don't, they're not talking like people who have just been shell-shocked. They, they processed the likelihood that they were going to be not going to be re-elected um, some time ago, and now they're getting on with the job of determining what they do with the rest of their lives. But, uh, yeah, obviously, uh, a, an awful result for the Labour Party. They are going to need to reflect on what led them to that result, and I think they need to take their time doing that. I'm very pleased to see that Chris Hipkins has stayed on as leader. I'm absolutely sure he would have had unanimous support in the caucus to do that, and I think he's the right person to guide the party through this next period of time. Sarah? Kia ora, Ian. Um, I wanted to know, given that you left Parliament back in 2020, what lessons on resilience for the remaining MPs can you share from your lived experience going through <laughs> that process? 
Yeah, look, it was pretty brutal for me. Uh, and I think the main thing is get your loved ones around you. The, um, the people who the people who really do love you and support you will be with you through thick and thin. Get them around you. Um, talk about the experience. Um, maybe just spend a bit of time on your own. Take a bit of time out. MPs do get the, the benefit of a bit of paid time after they've left Parliament. Take your time to process everything. Spend some time with your loved ones who you probably haven't had much of a chance to spend time with uh, and just take care of yourself. Come on. Oh, well, I mean, I guess we're going through a transition from one government to a to a new one, just as we did in, you know, to... 2019 and, and, and in 2020, you know, the boot was sort of on the other foot, I guess, with a lot of national uh, MPs leaving. And it is tough for those people who are leaving. You know, they're transitioning out of a career, just just like it is for anyone who loses their job. Um, and I think it can be quite challenging for politicians to transition into other lives or, you know, other careers. Uh, and, it, you know, I just hope that everyone can make that transition very successfully. And I think Ian's point about, you know, having your loved ones around you and having support, uh, I think, is, is crucially you know, important. If, you, if you're living on your own terms, it's a wee bit different than if you're not. And, uh, you know, that does make it a bit more difficult. And it doesn't matter what party you come from. It's uh, it's just challenging for everyone as, as well, humans. What right? all that, picking up on that point, Ian, because, I mean, you were a very long-serving uh, MP. Is there a life outside politics? And does it take a while to adjust? Well, I hope there is, because hopefully that's what I'm living now. Um, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm having a great time, and I've got wonderful work, and, uh, and I'm really enjoying myself. But it does take time. It's a huge adjustment. Uh, and, you know, after, after a little while, I realised that I'd normalised this parliamentary life, which is actually quite weird. And I had to sort of readjust to, to living a normal life and, and being a, a normal human being again and and not uh, living the life of, of an elected representative who's in the public eye all of the time. Uh, and it does take time and you're still going to be recognised by people out in the community for a while and they may well want to talk with you about uh, what's been happening in your life. And that, But that, that recedes as well and generally people kind of let you go back to mm. being a, a citizen again and, and have your own personal life. But it does take a bit of a transition for you yourself and for everybody around you and your community as well. Can I bring up the issue of leadership because uh, you mentioned that you thought that Chris Hipkins would have uh, unanimous support. And I can recall, you know, going back and uh, uh, there was there was a lot of support for Chris Hipkins post Jacinda Ardern looking at the commentariat, just saying he's, he, he brings this different side to Labour. He brings us perhaps this... Um, this uh, work, working person style, if you like, a little bit scrappier, a little bit different. But can you honestly say that he was the right person? Seeing what we've seen, um, what do you really think? Was Chris Hipkins a leader? Is he actually a leader? Oh, Chris Hipkins is definitely a leader. He had a tough gig, as he pointed out on election night Uh it's been a very long time, I think, if ever in New Zealand, that someone's taken over as Prime Minister in an election year and, and gone on to um, successfully form the next government. So it's a tough gig. Not very many, many people manage to do it. There will, be, there will, of course, be question marks about 
the captain's calls. Uh, there'll be question marks about the stuff that was going on around around Chris that he had no control over, but he had to deal with uh, that uh, was probably detrimental to his leadership and, and Labour's chances of being re-elected. But what I really like about the idea of Chris staying on at this stage is he is scrappy. We saw it in the leadership debates where people actually reflected on those and said, Chris Hipkins looks more like the leader of the opposition and Christopher Luxon is acting like the Prime Minister. Well, actually, let's go with that. Christopher Hipkins, go out there and be the best leader of the opposition you can be and do the other let's, job of leading the party through this transition Let's period. put that to on panel. What did you make of uh, Chris Hipkins? Uh, well, he, he was the leader of the Labour Party and the Prime Minister, and, and you've got to respect him for, for that. And in an election year, it is tough. I mean, they're a second-term government that sort of had the feeling of a third-term government. And, you know, that's the sense you got with the right direction, wrong direction polls. Just seem to be more people thinking we're going in the wrong direction. And so the tide was sort of going out um, on him. Whether anyone else in that caucus could have made a better job of, of the campaign, um, who knows? But, um, you know, I I just hope he has a good summer and and enjoys himself for having a bit of a break. Well, in the last couple of days of the election, I was out at Watia, now Whare Watia, and had the privilege of of listening to different speakers, one of them being the Prime Minister. He did a stand-up out there. And uh, it was a shame that it was sort of left so late, you know, 48 hours out from voting. But he was fervent around tackling racism. And he also said some things that really I felt were genuine. It's almost like I've been watching him because I dealt with him when he was Minister of COVID um, when I was doing some work in government. Right. And it's always, he's been very restrained and, you know, and he's he's being very cautious and careful. I get that. But it, it, it was like, a different person. He was actually expressing himself and you could feel it. It wasn't like he was reading off a script. And he said something that really, two things, and I'll mention it. He, he spoke about appealing and committing to bring out the best in all of us and not dwelling on the negative. I like that. But the last thing was, let's lead like our children are watching us. And I... Really appreciate that. Some people may say, oh, as a politician, you just say whatever. But the way he delivered okay. it, you felt like he genuinely meant it. All right. so, Final yeah. thoughts, Ian, before you go. So uh, uh, the rebuild begins, huh? Yeah, look, I think Labor's got two jobs ahead of them now. One is they've got to get their heads around the fact they are the opposition and move into being an effective opposition. And they've got people there, the likes of Chris Hipkins, Grant Robertson, Carmel Cipollone, um, like myself, came in when Labour last went into opposition from government and perhaps saw how not to do it and will have learned from that. I think I think that the country needs to see an effective opposition and, and Labour being able to lead the opposition from the get-go. So that's one stream of work they've got. The other stream of work is to do that, that soul-searching and the the, the medium-term work around preparing themselves to present as a party that could move into government right. by the end of this term. So two quite different jobs, Very but good. they've got to crack on with both of them. Good on you, Ian. Thank you. Uh, that's Ian Lees-Galloway there, uh, who re- represented Palmerston North as their 
MP for, oh gosh, 12 years, wasn't it, uh, in Jacinda Ardern's cabinet. It's 19 past four. Connor English and Sarah Sparks with us this afternoon to this very different topic. This is fascinating. The NFT craze, recall that? For a while, it was everywhere. These being non-fungible tokens. Anyone with cash to spare seemed to be forking out big amounts to, of cash to odd cartoon images of monkeys or gorillas with caps on. NFTs were deemed by some as the next wave in contemporary art, eclipsing prices for painted works and of art in cases. But a new report estimates 23 million NFT owners hold assets of little or actually no value. Last year, the FMA wrote that while it's possible to have fun with METs, be careful. Dan Carter, he got into them. So did NZ Rugby. With us is Dr. Yang Hu, Senior Lecturer in Finance at the University of Waikato. Dr. Hu, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you on, um, Yang. Are NFTs or were NFTs the new tulips? Well... Well, that's a good question. Well, uh, if you look at the past two years, the NFT certainly shows that it used to be a good investment before, well, during 2021. However, after 2022, we can see that NFT price dropped significantly. Now, more importantly, that 95% of NFT lose its almost all their value basically means that investors have no value uh. by investing in, in, in NFTs. In the literature, we all saying that it's not, surprising, it's not surprising to see that NFT experience a bubble. So there's a definitely a bubble there. Well, 95% of NFTs lose all their value. Um, what's, what's the lesson here, Yang? Um, because I had a couple of friends who were, you know, really interested in NFTs, and there were um, some NFTs, copies, I guess you could say, of New Zealand contemporary art. What's the lesson? Be wary of newfangled ideas? Yes, that's right. So I think people, when people think about NFT, because NFT is based on the Ethereum network, Ethereum is a kind of cryptocurrency, and the Ethereum price is closely follows the Bitcoin price, right? So when people think about NFT, they think about if they can invest now, they can make a lot of money. Yeah. However, people have forgotten that there are thousands and thousands of different cryptocurrencies that most of the cryptocurrency doesn't work a lot, except the major, major ones. Right? Even for Bitcoin, Bitcoin experienced several big, uh, large increase in price, also sudden drops in value as well, right? So Bitcoin price also faced a significant drop this year. So when people think about NFTs, they think about, oh wow, is that a new channel to invest? There's a, there's a lot of risk in investing yeah. in NFTs. Uh, yes, indeed. So Bitcoin suffered the same thing, perhaps not quite to the extent. I don't know, Connor, you've, you, 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 you feel like a person who would have experimented in, in an NFT? 
and, no. a, and, a, and, a, and a monkey with a cap? Uh, no? no, no, I haven't experimented in uh, NFTs, and and actually, it's it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, are you buying it for an investment or or a mm. piece of art? I, a few years ago, I went to an after party of Damien Hirst, who had an auction in New York. Did you? And you know, he had he had this was art he on there? the. Was he there? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we had a pretty interesting night. But he had this art there, and to me, it was about a hundred bucks worth of canvas and and paint, and it didn't appeal to me because actually one of them was just pure white, uh, and there was no paint on it. But it was worth you know ten million bucks. So it's in the eye eye of the beholder, isn't it? So I wouldn't buy an NFT unless I appreciated it as a piece of art, and I thought, oh, that looks pretty cool. Well, I, I'm, you know. I'm keen to hear more about Damien Hurst's after party. I might uh, talk to you about that, <laughs> actually, frankly. Yeah. But getting philosophical about what is art, Connor. Yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, stay, stay there, Doctor Who, Sarah. <laughs> well, I, I'm interested, Doctor Who, uh, um, from the perspective of consumer protection okay so yeah. if there's a drop in value and the risks associated with it i mean it is an emerging i mean this this sort of trading is in its infancy and it's emerging so i always think you know if you're going to mm-hmm. if you're going to if you're going to risk mm-hmm. your money take a long term perspective and hopefully ride out the wave but in, because this is you know groundbreaking sort of new, I guess you'd call it contract technology related. Mm. How how do you think, or what do you advise regulation or policy around protecting consumer rights in this area? Because it is new. Like, I, I wouldn't write it off, but it's like, what, how do you balance it out with, with mitigating the risk? Regulation or more protection there, Yang? Well, as, uh, well, NFT is a very interesting and emerging market. However, if you compare to NFT market compared to cryptocurrency market, it's a much smaller market, right? Mm-hmm. At the moment, most cryptocurrency market is not regulated, right? I'm not sure whether it's worth uh, pursuing more. Well, the answer would be I definitely think that more regulation ne- are needed for regulate. NFT market. However, the point is, NFT market is much smaller market compared to crypto cryptocurrency market. As uh. some policy are needed, I think that they need to come uh, to the cryptocurrency market first. Very, very good to have you on the program, uh, Yang Hu there on NFTs. Uh, Yang Hu is a senior lecturer in finance at the University of Waikato, responding to a report uh, uh, which estimates that 23 million NFT owners hold assets of little or no value. So um, uh, basic story there, NFTs, that craze slumped big time. What was Damien Hurst's after party like? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated. Oh, How did was, you get to be there? Uh, well, a friend uh, took us along, so it was uh, yeah, no, it was good fun. It was and good fun. New York, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, but it what made me realise that different people. I mean, art is in the eye of the beholder, and you know what people were prepared to pay for things was dramatically different than me. And it is buyer beware. I mean, I don't. I think regulating NFTs. Is just a waste of time because you should know when you go and do that that you're going to you know potentially Amazing. lose all your money. Just like a piece yeah. of art we've got at home, it's worth nothing to anyone else, but we like it, so we buy it. Yeah, you know? but it would probably be a slightly better investment to buy that solid Damien Hurst white canvas for ten million. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Who knows? Might not be worth as much today. Fair. That's a very fair mm. point, actually. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 27 past for the panel. We have Sarah Sparks and Connor English today. Now, yesterday we got such a response, huge response, uh, to um, the fact that you were your memories around cod liver oil and milk of magnesia. Run off our feet with the social history there. But you seem to have it all sorted with stains. I asked for hacks around stains because I need to sort of get some ballpoint pen up my white pants. Not a jot. Here's one. Here's my, here's my suggestion for stain removal. Crayon on walls. Hang an empty picture frame on top of it. Voila. <laughs> That's not a suggestion. <laughs> well, it works. Well, yeah. Guess, so, so apparently, baking soda and vinegar isn't the miracle it's portrayed as. What's the stain removal hack you swear by? Uh, or a couple here. A thick layer of salt will soak up and remove red wine for the carpet. Um, mm. A spot of dishwashing liquid on oily stains works to treat his Jenny in Rotorua. Uh, and Heather in Tauranga says, look. If you wear white pants, you deserve to have them stained. It's a message that white pants are never a good look. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So that, I love white pants uh, on all occasions. Do you have a, do you have a, a, a stain removal hack for me? Uh, well, I think the salt on the, on the carpet with the red wine is, is one that I've heard other people use. Sarah? Because I'm a mum of two cricketers and I clean white sometimes, sad soap. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness one good one's come through. I saw a repair shop recently and the guy used shaving foam to remove pen ink. There you go. Oh. Very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National. Um, another one here. Surely the lesson from NFTs is the same as that from multi-level marketing. It sounds like a pyramid scheme. It's probably a pyramid scheme. Uh, and on consumer protection, I agree with Connor that it is buyable where regulations it can entail damages and ongoing expense to uh, government. Uh, you're on the panel, uh, RNZ National. Now, coming up, uh, we're talking about a band, an extraordinary band. They're coming to New Zealand for the first time. They are one of the top heavy metal bands in the country. I ask you today... Have you been to see Iron Maiden? Do you have an Iron Maiden T-shirt? Text me, 2101.